Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode number number 197B of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. The big preview show, the Thursday preview show, of course, we got the big heavyweight pay-per-view fight coming up this weekend. We got an interesting show today. We're going to cover some things um, related to that Wilder-Ortiz rematch. Of course, we're going to preview the fight and talk about the matchups and everything. But I want to talk about how poor this event is selling at the venue because that is not healthy. Um, all right, a couple of you guys have said I'm breaking up. Check your, just refresh your um, your feed, man, because on my end, we're good. So I think that we're good to go. If I'm breaking up on your end, just restart your web browser, refresh it. Anyway, guys, so um, t- poor ticket sales. And, and what makes me say this? So I talked to, I have a few friends who are ticket brokers in the business and regularly work events. But one guy specifically, a good friend of mine, Jim Boone, he is the best ticket broker in the business, in my opinion, lives in Las Vegas, but routinely travels around the country. He works all the big shows, but he also works medium shows and even some club shows. He knows exactly what he's doing related to uh, purchasing tickets at the right time and selling them. So whenever I have friends that want to buy tickets to an event and they come to me and ask about it, I always refer them to my friend Jim. When I have friends ask me, hey, should I buy tickets or should I wait? Again, I refer to my friend Jim. So since this fight's out in Vegas, I talked to Jim today. We spoke at length for 30, 45 minutes just about this show and some of the other recent shows in the sport and how they're selling. So I want to get into this a little bit for you guys. I also want to talk about the difference between comping tickets and papering an arena, papering a venue. Two very different things, two very different concepts. And also, I want to give you guys some information regarding just kind of dead giveaways so that you can tell how a show is selling. That affects you as a, as a you know, a consumer of boxing that wants to go to an event and buy a ticket. It's really about timing because some of these promoters take advantage of people that buy tickets early. A lot of times, the earlier you buy tickets, the more ripped off you get. And that, of course, hurts you in the pocket if you're going to several fights a year. So we'll talk about that in a second. Real quick, um, guys, of course, as always, Go ahead, hit the like button if you're watching live on YouTube. Spread the word about the channel, about the video, post it on your social. If you're listening on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever, later on to the audio podcast version, same thing there, man. Drop a rating, a like, a review. The best thing you can do to help me out is just spread the word about this show and about this channel. Uh, Also, if you want to help out in any way monetarily, we have a Patreon page patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. And you can help out watching live right here on YouTube with Super Chat pledges, which will get your question bumped up and I'll get right to it live on the show. Uh, Montero Unboxing t-shirts are sold out. We are all out of them. So I have to re-up a new order for 2020. Also, updates on the studio. We just finished painting it today. We're putting in carpet next week. It's getting so close to being done. I can't wait. I know the echo on these videos and these podcasts over the last six plus months has been driving you guys nuts. I apologize for the audio, the lack of audio and video quality that will be changed and upgraded soon. I promise you guys. In fact, I'll post some photos of the studio, the latest and greatest on my social media in the coming days, okay? Uh, But yes, next week, we're gonna start putting in carpet. I went out and bought everything yesterday. We finished painting and sealing everything today. I'm telling you guys, it's finally coming together. Okay, some quick news and notes items, and then we're gonna get right to this Wilder Ortiz rematch, uh, lackluster ticket selling situation. So Sergey Kovalev was supposed to have his trial for felony assault charges. That was supposed to be this month, I think this week even. That has been postponed to January 6th. Why? Probably because the authorities in California want to chill for the rest of the year. I don't know. I honestly don't know. They pushed it till January. So at least he will uh, be a free citizen for the rest of this year. We'll see what happens in January. Also, a fight came together for January 11th. Man, next year is getting off to a 
a good start. We already have a couple of fights lined up for early next year, but this one on January 11th in Atlantic City on ESPN between Jesse Hart and Joe Smith. That's going to be a fun fight. You just look at it in terms of styles, and both guys need a W like yesterday. So that's going to be a fun fight, a good matchup, and that fight truly belongs in Atlantic City. Joe Smith is from Long Island. Of course, Jesse Hart from Philly. Boom, you meet right in the middle in AC. That's going to be a lot of fun, man. Okay, but let's talk about Wilder Ortiz. So these tickets were grossly overpriced. Now, again, I talked to Jim Boone earlier today, and he was telling me he's worked every major show going back well over a decade in Las Vegas and across the country. You know what I'm saying? And he was telling me that the tickets for this fight, like average seat tickets, I'm not talking about ringsides, I'm not talking about nosebleeds, I'm talking about a good average seat in the middle of the arena, right around $1,500 or so. He was telling me, just comparing it to a lot of the Mayweather fights, other than Mayweather Pacquiao and Mayweather Canelo, he was saying, man, this might be the most expensive fight in terms of the pricing up front that I've ever seen, including all the other Mayweather fights, Mayweather Guerrero, Mayweather McGregor, all the Mayweather fights, even a lot of the Canelo fights and Pacquiao fights. The, the, the pricing for this, for this event was way, just bloated, out beyond any reasonable means. Now, why did this happen? There's a million different reasons we can speculate. Of course, we can go back to the deal that Deontay Wilder turned down from the zone. Apparently, it was $100 million. Now, Deontay Wilder has since said that he did not like the way that the zone uh, representatives approached him and that the communication was poor. John Skipper over at the zone has admitted this and talked about that. So it's a two-way street. Maybe that deal fell apart because the zone executives mishandled it. And John Skipper has a lot to learn when it comes to the culture in the business of boxing. So... I'm not just saying it's all on Deontay Wilder, but part of him rejecting that deal and staying with his current management is they promised to pay him as much as the zone was going to guarantee. So part of that is you got to go to pay-per-view. You got to inflate ticket prices. Now, $1,500 tickets. And Jim Boone has tweeted about this. This is public information. This isn't speculation. These are facts. $1,500 tickets were lowered to $1,000 a couple weeks ago, they were lowered to 750 a couple weeks ago. There's rumors that they're going to be lowered to even less than that this week. Okay, so, and of course, the, the fight's just a few days away, but I'm just saying huge, huge slashing and dashing of ticket prices. Now, on top of that, there are several companies giving away free tickets. One company, I can't remember the name, but th- this is public record, you guys. This is not speculation or rumors. One company has already given away 1,000 tickets to this event. Just giving them away, completely free, papered, okay? The MGM Grand Casino. Of course, this fight's at the MGM Grand Garden Arena right there at the casino. As of yesterday, I haven't checked today, but as of yesterday, there were rooms at the MGM Grand for $114 a night. $114 a night. Now, I can tell you guys, and Gail, who's on the live chat here, can attest to this. Gail, that is half the media rate. I've covered plenty of fights, uh, Canelo Golovkin and fights like that, where the media rate for a room at the MGM Grand is well over $200. That's for media. That's for people working the event. Now, sometimes you can negotiate a discount or sometimes the platform that you're writing for, covering the event for, will comp you a room. Like I've had situations like that happen for me, sure. But for the most part, there's a media rate for the fight venue for media folks covering the event. And it's generally at the MGM Grand, 200, 225, 250, somewhere in that range for the biggest fights. There were rooms available last night for $114. That tells you right now how desperate the casino is to get people there to rent a room. And of course, $114, that means they're doing package deals. Hey, come get a room and we'll give you a couple tickets to the fight. Package deal, right? That happens all the time. So, the casino, and I can't, I can't speak to details on the record here, but all I can say is the casino is going to take a, a loss on this fight, a big loss, and they're not happy about it, okay? It's happening. That's not a good sign. That's not good for Nevada, for that commission. 
It's not good. It's a bad look for Deontay Wilder, even though none of this is his fault. It, it reflects on him because he's the A-side, but he's not the one who overpriced the tickets. He's not the one that put it at this venue and everything else. But it does reflect on him in a negative way. Now, if you are a fan who bought tickets as soon as they went on sale for $1,500, and remember, with AXS, you're talking 120 I think it's a $120 service fee, whatever the hell that means. It literally is for someone to click a button so you get your tickets. $120 service fee. So you're paying $1,600 plus when these tickets come out. And now there are people getting them for a fraction of that the week of the fight. You probably feel a little ripped off. How likely are you to go back and order tickets for the next big Las Vegas pay-per-view fight? Probably less likely because there are people that are going to get tickets, better seats than you, because here's another thing that I've learned. They have um, closed multiple sections that were open, multiple sections that they were selling tickets to and sold tickets for. They have since closed in the last couple of weeks. And the night of the fight, when fans come up with their ticket, they're going to be given a new ticket and move to a new section because they've closed sections. So, If you're one of those fans... Now, the one thing is some of those fans are going to get upgraded to better seats. So they probably ain't going to bitch. But if you're one of those fans who paid full sticker price for your ticket and you get moved to a section and you're sitting next to a dude and you you start a conversation and you find out that he paid a third of what you paid, probably not going to be too happy. Okay? Uh, Let's see. So let's talk about the difference between comping in papering a venue. I think there's a lot of misconception about this. Every single boxing show on earth, from club shows all the way to the biggest pay-per-view showdowns at the casinos, comp tickets. It's part of every single deal. Take this fight with Wilder Ortiz. What happens up front, now this is specific to casino deals. A casino will buy into a fight. They will buy a certain amount of tickets. Let's just say the number is 1,000, 2,000 tickets. Let's let's say 2,000 tickets. MGM Grand Garden Arena seats, I think, 15,000. So let's say up front, part of the deal is they offer a site fee to PBC to host the event there. And then they say, we're going to buy 2,000 tickets. That's part of the site fee, part of the whole package deal. What the casino does with those is they reach out to the whales, to their VIPs. They try to get people to come in. They try to get their regulars to come in. And they do big package deals. Hey, we got a ringside ticket. This is a $15,000 ticket. We'll give it to you for ten grand if you get a room with us on this weekend, blah, 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 right? So that's all in the casino. That's an immediate buy-in, okay? That counts as part of the ticket sold. When you guys see how many tickets were sold at an event, the announced attendance, that's part of it. That original buy-in is part of it. So it's a little bit misleading, but it technically they are sold tickets, technically. However, in this situation, the MGM Grand can't get rid of all the damn tickets they bought. They're taking a bath on this one. Now, there's also comps in the sense of commission officials, fighters, family, friends. Think of this is a WBC title fight, right? Deontay Wilder defending his WBC heavyweight title. So The WBC probably has 100 tickets to this fight because the WBC is appointing the refs, the judges, the commission officials, and they ain't coming alone. You think Mauricio Suleiman's coming by himself? He's bringing his homies. He's bringing some friends and family. There's a a bunch of commission people there that I don't even know what some of these people do. I see them at every fight and I always scratch my head. What does this person do? They're always there. Tickets are comped. So those tickets are comped. And again, I talked about fighters, their family. And then there's whales that the casino's trying to bring in. Uh, the promotion will comp tickets to friends, actors, singers, entertainers, these kind of people, right? The dude who goes and sings the national anthem, he's got a ringside seat. You think he's paying for it? That dude who's coming to sing the national anthem, you think he's coming there by himself? He's bringing his wife or his mistress or his hooker for the night. It is Las Vegas. All these tickets are comped. That's part of every show. Top Rank does it. Um, Golden Boy does it. PBC, everyone, Matchroom does it. It doesn't matter if it's in Las Vegas, in London at the O2, or if it's a club show down the street in your city. If you live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there's a club show with 500 people there, several of those tickets were comped. 
So comped tickets are part of every single promotion, every single deal, every single card that you ever watch, there are comp tickets. Now, some media with agendas will spin that into making it seem like, oh, this, this event was papered. They, there was a thousand comps for this event. Well, there's a thousand, well, not always a thousand, but there are comps for every event. That's not the same as papering a venue, which is happening for Wild Ortiz. Now, I printed this right off of AXS, and I apologize to you guys listening later. I will describe the picture I'm holding up. But for those of you watching now on YouTube, this is the section just uh, by, by the ring here. So here's the ring. The media section will be over here on this side, right? To this side, this is the lower bowl, and the dark dots represent spaces where the tickets are available. The, the pale dots represent seats that are gone. You look at this and you think all this is sold tickets, right? Wrong. On a lower bowl, particularly on the side, the media section's here. The cameras are behind the media section. They shoot this way. This is the portion of the crowd and this in this portion as well, but mostly this one that is on television. Those are all comps. That's going to be, you know, hey, if... Uh, Kanye West is at the fight. He's sitting here. If Kim Kardashian's at the fight, she, well, maybe she'd be sitting by Kanye. <laughs> you get what I mean? All the celebrities, all the comps, all the fighter families, all the commission folks, Mauricio Suleiman is going to be sitting right here, right? That whole lower bowl, you pull up the ASX website, you think, man, they're selling great. That's just because it's marked out here on this graphic does not necessarily mean that the tickets are sold. It means the tickets are not available. One dead giveaway that the event is being papered is you look at the lower bowl, leave the floor, okay, and go up to the lower bowl. And again, I apologize if you can't see this too well, but for those of you listening later on the iTunes or whatever it is, if you look in this section, okay, you'll see chunks of four seats that are available next to chunks of four seats that are unavailable. What does that mean? That's a dead giveaway for papering. When events are papered, okay, all that is outsourced to companies that give away the tickets. And it could be anything. It could be bankers in Las Vegas could be hooking up their VIP clients with free tickets to a fight. You know, relationship managers for brokerage houses and stuff like that are hooking up friends. Real estate brokers are hooking up clients. But they do it in, in chunks of four. Because think about it, if you're giving away tickets to an event, you're not gonna give one ticket to your buddy. You wanna give four. Hey man, take your friend and take the wives, why don't you? Or hey, take your wife and the kids. So look at this, guys. Four, 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 four. I can keep going. And by the way, this is just one little part of the lower bowl. I pulled up the graphic on AXS, the seating chart, for the entire, the entire arena. And this is what it's like in the lower bowl. Chunks of four that are available right next to chunks of four that are blocked out. Why? Because those chunks of four that are blocked out are papered. Free tickets, giveaways. And this is in the lower bowl. This is not in the upper deck. Okay? So what does that... That's a dead giveaway for a venue being papered. A dead giveaway. Now, why do I mention all this? Is it to beat up on Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz and the PBC? No, it's just to give you guys this kind of information because you're going to get spin. Let me be clear. Every promoter spins. Every network spins because the networks are quasi-promoters now. They all do it. They all spin. But not all spin is created equal. And you're going to hear come fight night, they're not going to say it's, it was a sellout, but they're going to say it was a near sellout. Oh, we had 10,000. We had 12,000 there. They may sell two or 3,000 tickets to this event. My ticket broker friend guaranteed me. We talked about this. And he knows what he's doing because he's selling tickets to this event. He's been on the phone with MGM execs all week and several other ticket brokerage companies. Ticket broker companies, sorry. All week talking about this. Okay, wheeling and dealing. All these gray dots I told you guys about that are blocked off, that are marked off. He estimates 10% of them are actually sold. 10%. That means 90% are either comped 
are straight up papered tickets. So do the math there. Now, there's two different ways of looking at this. And I think there's two different schools of thought that promoters have, okay? In this situation, if you sold 2,000 tickets at 1,500 bucks right up front to people who were eager to see this fight, let's just say 2,000. I'm just brainstorming here, okay? I don't think it was that many, but let's just say that's $3 million. And now maybe you sell 2,000 more at 750. You bring in another 1.5 million. You sell another chunk for 250, 500. You bring in another half million. That's $5 million. And the thought is, well, we're gouging the shit and taking advantage of these fans up front. We're hooking up some friends with discounts at the end. And we're giving a bunch of dudes free shit the week of the fight. But because we got that buy-in up front, we're pulling a $5 million gate versus other promoters that sell 10,000 tickets for 50 bucks a pop. That may, which includes some comps and everything else, may not do exactly 5 million, may do less than that, may do a smaller gate. An example of this would be when Tyson Fury fought Schwartz. I can't even, Tom Schwartz recently, right? That was supposed to be Canelo Alvarez's date in Las Vegas. Golden Boy Promotions had the venue T-Mobile Arena secured. MGM execs owned T-Mobile Arena, so that deal was all bought in. They were good to go. Canelo screwed it up and Golden Boy screwed it up because they could not secure the Sergey Kovalev fight the weekend of Mexican Independence Day. So everyone's standing there holding their dick in their hand. Top rank kind of came in and said, hey, We'll come. We got a fight with Tyson Fury. We'll put it in there. We sure as hell ain't expecting this sort of price, though. You guys are going to have to work with us, but we'll come in and save the day. So they came in and they put on the fight with Tyson Fury and Tom Schwartz. An absolute shit fight. But here's the difference. Instead of having the whole arena open, T-Mobile Arena is like 20,000 people. They sectioned it off. They seated it, I think, for about seven, 8,000. Maybe 9,000, something like that. More than half of it was completely blocked off because they knew it wasn't going to sell that. But for the sections that they left open, for what they planned it for, the seating chart for that fight sold at about 95%. How do I know that? Talk to Jim Boone again today. He worked that fight. He made a very good profit on the fight, even though the tickets were very, very cheap in comparison to what you're seeing this week with Wilder Ortiz. Now, some media entities who are very comfortable and friendly with PBC executives and have an ax to grind with top rank posted stories about the lackluster gate number for Fury Schwartz. Here's what they didn't include. With the site fee and everything else, so what top rank put up with their financial investment versus the return with the gate and the site fee, the sponsorships and everything that they received back, that was an extraordinarily profitable show for them. Just because the gate, I I think it maybe was like a million dollars, the gate for Fury Schwartz. That gate isn't as high as the gate that's going to be reported for Wild Ortiz. But when you look at the purses, and everything that was put in for Wild Ortiz, it's not, it's not going to be anywhere near as profitable, pound for pound, as Fury Schwartz was. So the media folks who are in bed with whatever platform are going to spin things a certain way dependent on the situation. I'm giving you guys the straight dope because it doesn't necessarily matter what the gate is. Look, man, look at it like a, like a movie, Okay. If you have a movie and it stars George Clooney and Denzel Washington and they got to pay $100 million for all the actors to get in it, right? The actors payday plus all the production and the CGI and the marketing is $100 million and it goes out to the theaters and it makes $110 million. That looks awesome. You could say, man, we made over $100 million this movie, but you got an independent movie that costs $10 million to make and it makes 40 million, it doesn't look as impressive as the 110 million, but it was a hell of, a hell of a lot more profitable. People made more money on it. 
Same thing in boxing. Every show is different. Every card's different. So I just wanted to give you guys some inside scoop with some of that stuff. And uh, if you have any questions in the chat, we'll get to it later. But man, let's talk about, quickly preview some of these fights. So, okay, Friday, November 22nd, tomorrow. On ESPN Plus, there's a card from Dubai United Arab Emirates featuring Jack Catterall, 140-pound prospect. And out of India, Vijinder Singh, 168-pound prospect, both in showcase mismatches that guaranteed they will win. So if you're bored, you want to watch that, go for it. Saturday, November 23rd, we got a bunch of action. Peter Manfredo Jr., remember him? Remember Peter Manfredo? He is coming back fighting in Lincoln. Lincoln, where the hell is Lincoln, Rhode Island? I'm guessing you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Is Lincoln in Rhode Island? I feel like I should know that. Fighting on UFC Fight Pass. So if you have that, check it out. There's also a matchroom card from Liverpool on DAZN and Sky. Gail says Lincoln's in Nebraska. I know there's a Lincoln in Nebraska, Gail, but why the hell would Peter Manfredo fight in Nebraska? <laughs> is he really fighting? I should have looked this up. I, I know it's Lincoln, but is he... Re- you know what? I'm going to look it up right now on the damn show. Because I can't... Why the... Peter Manfredo... Why would he be fighting in Lincoln, Nebraska? That makes absolutely no... Why is he fighting, period, should be the question I'm asking. But, yeah, it's at the Town River Event Center in Lincoln. That sounds like a Nebraska kind of thing. And it's actually, I'm looking, he's actually fought there. His last one, two, three, four fights going back to 2012. So it's definitely... No, it is Rhode Island. Oh, I was right. Gail... You owe me a beer, Gail. It's in Lincoln. There is a Lincoln, Rhode Island. Booyah! (laughs) So that's where Peter Manfredo is fighting. That makes sense for him to be fighting in Rhode Island as he is from Rhode Island. Okay, I talked about the matchroom card from Liverpool on the zone here in the US of A and on Sky Sports over in the UK. Callum Smith fighting against John Ryder, who has a record of 27-4 and against domestic-level opposition. A lot of donut delivery boys. This is for Smith's WBA Super and the WBA Diamond Super Middleweight titles. What a lackluster, disappointing year for Callum Smith. After such a breakthrough 2018, winning the World Boxing Super Series, claiming the the, the true legitimate championship of the Super Middleweight division, what a shit 2019. Just wasted away. And this should have been a year where he built upon things. He did dick this year. No one cares that he's fighting John Ryder. And that's no disrespect to John Ryder. Just come on, man. We expected more from Callum Smith in 2019. He needs to get his shit together in 2020 and step it up. Golden Boy Promotions card from Indio, California, also on the zone. And we're going to see a rematch between Andrew Concio versus Rene Alvarado. Alvarado is his mandatory for the WBA 130-pound title that he won last year. The opposite of Callum Smith... Andrew Concio has had a breakthrough 2019. KO4 and KO3 wins over Alberto Machado this year. Prior to Andy Ruiz beating Anthony Joshua, Andrew Concio versus Alberto Machado, that first fight, that was my pick for upset of the year. So um, great year for Concio. Alvarado is going to give him a tough test. But of course, I like Andrew to uh, keep his title in this one. He wants to unify in 2020. And guess what? I believe him. Gail says, Concio's improved body attack is so impressive. I completely agree, Gail. Everything this guy does is impressive. Everything. It just it, The way he's, he's a working man during the week, and he goes in the ring and put, pours his heart out. Gives, you, just, you never look at an Andrew, Andrew Concio fight, at least recently, and think, ah, that guy left something in the tank. He was disillusioned with boxing a few years ago, and maybe a few fights he left something in the tank. But it's all worked out for him now. He's figuring shit out. And um, yeah, I agree with Gail in the comments section here saying that he's one of the Cinderella fighters this year along with Jamel Herring. Completely agree. We've got some feel-good stories in 2019 for show. Also on this card, Kan Shu out of China going up against Manny Robles III. Of course, trained by his father and former fighter Manny Robles Jr., Robles III is 18-0, 25 years old, out of L.A. This is the second defense of Shu's WBA featherweight title. And guess what, folks? Robles is supposed to win this fight. This is set up for him to win. 
So let's get to this big pay-per-view in Las Vegas. PBC and Fox pay-per-view. By the way, this is the sixth, not fourth, not fifth, sixth pay-per-view. I'm really trying not to beat up on PBC, guys, but facts are facts. Sixth pay-per-view from PBC in a calendar year, starting back with Wilder Fury last December. You do the math on that. Holy shit. Free boxing for all? I don't think so. So let's talk about this undercard, which is crap for the most part. But look, I don't think this belongs on pay-per-view. And I've been pretty consistent about this. When Terrence Crawford fought Amir Khan earlier this year, I didn't even watch that fight, to be honest with you. I didn't even I still haven't seen that fight. It was complete dog shit, and that didn't belong on pay-per-view. So I'm not trying to just beat up on PBC. I beat up on top rank for that pay-per-view as well. This fight and this card does not belong on pay-per-view, but it is what it is. A lot of you guys out there that want the fighters to get paid, and you constantly talk about fighter purses, the fighters got to get paid. I agree. I like when fighters get paid. I'm happy for it. But when Deontay Wilder turned down that $100 million deal on the zone, for whatever reasons he did, and, went and, and, and stayed with, now at the time he said he was going to stay with Showtime out of loyalty. That didn't quite work out. But he stayed with his current management. Part of that deal was they got to take these fights to pay-per-view. So get used to Deontay Wilder fighting twice a year on pay-per-view. If there is a mandatory match like a Dominic Brazil, something like that, that they can shop over to Showtime where they get guaranteed money, a site fee, they'll do that. Particularly at Barclays where they have a financial deal worked out with Barclays management. They'll do that. Maybe even take that to Birmingham, Alabama or something where he's from where they can do a pretty good, you know, pretty good um, attendance. But the, his big fights are going to be twice a year and they're going to be on pay-per-view going forward, guys. That's the price you pay for the fighters getting paid. You know what I mean? Unless they go to a, a platform that's going to pay the money without putting it on pay-per-view. And there's not very many of those anymore. So, undercard. Leo Santa Cruz fighting Miguel Flores, defending his WBA featherweight title. I like Leo Santa Cruz. I like his family. I feel like I'm always beating up on the guy. I don't know what to say. You know, look. Since the Frampton bounce, which, by the way, he owes Carl Frampton a rubber match. He never kept his word on that. That was kind of slimy and shitty. But since those fights, he's fought Chris Avalos, an Abner Mars rematch, a one-eyed Abner, you know, Cyclops Abner Mars rematch, Rafael Rivera, and now Flores. Flores, by the way, two KO losses recently, including a loss to Chris Avalos. He's fought twice since those two losses to uh, journeyman. So does he deserve to be on a pay-per-view fight in a title fight? No, but this is what you get. Also, Brandon Figueroa, 20-0, 22-year-old out of Texas, going up against Mexican Julio Ceja, who is coming off two straight stoppage losses and started as a flyweight. This is the first defense of Figueroa's WBA, WBA paper junior featherweight title. So this is set up as a knockout win for Figueroa. And the WBA is going to get their 3%. Good for them. Also, Comain. Actually, on paper, this is a good fight. But Luis Neri, 30-0 out of Mexico, going up against Puerto Rican Emmanuel Rodriguez. Now, normally, if you told me this fight was happening a year ago, I'd like the matchup. I really, really would. Here's the issue. Rodriguez is coming off a KO2 loss to Naoya Inoue in May. Last time he fought was in May, and he was blown out in two rounds and stopped, devastatingly knocked out. And now he's fighting Luis Neri for a title. Actually, I, don't, I think the title's gone, so correct. Sorry about that. But does Emmanuel Rodriguez deserve this fight? You're probably going to see another huge one-sided beating. By the way, this is the third straight pay-per-view undercard fight for Luis Neri. Third straight. So... Since getting with new management, doing his thing with the with PBC, he's been under the radar fighting on pay-per-view undercards. I'd love to see him fight Noyota in a way. I'd love to see that fight. That's a true number one versus number two matchup in that division. We all know it sure as hell ain't going to happen. Probably ain't going to happen. Now let's talk about this main event. 
Deontay Wilder going up against Luis Ortiz once again, about a year, a little, year and a half removed from their first fight. Ortiz is listed as 40 years old. He's technically listed as a few months older than me. I look pretty good for my age. I look, most people would say I look younger for my age. Luis Ortiz, I don't know. Is he really 40? I, I know I look a hell of a lot younger than him. Sam says he's 49. <laughs> you know, I was talking about, we were talking about this actually with Tiffany. We were eating dinner. And uh, we were talking about how people used to look older back in the day. And people are looking younger today. So the way I describe Luis Ortiz is that he is a 1970s 40. And I'm a 2019 40. But yeah, when I look at me and I look at Luis Ortiz, we don't look the same damn age. Anyway. He's listed as 40 years old. Uh, this is, of course, the rematch for Wilder's WBC heavyweight title. So, you know, when this was originally signed, I thought, man, this is probably going to go rounds. This is probably going to go rounds because Wilder, for the most part, for most of his defenses, hasn't been particularly dominant. Even against, like, Spielka, Duapas, uh, Gerald Washington, a lot of those fights went rounds. And he lost rounds in those fights, right? But it also Ortiz, I saw Ortiz in Los Angeles at the Spence Porter fight. Saw him walking around during fight week because they had a press conference. And he looked good. I was like, wow, he has stayed in shape between fights. He didn't really blow up in weight this time. He's absolutely looking ripped. This is the best physique he's ever had. However, I really think Deontay Wilder learned a lot in that first fight with Luis Ortiz. Gained a ton of confidence, getting so badly hurt. I can't remember, it was the fifth or sixth round. Coming back from that, showing tremendous heart and stopping Ortiz. Now, I've talked about the medical issues facing Ortiz and how he wasn't even cleared to fight by the New York State Athletic Commission until the day of the fight. They flew in Charles Martin on standby a couple days before in case Ortiz didn't get medically cleared. Yeah, I talked about that in the past, still. Learning lesson for Wilder, pass the test. And then even more than that, the 12 rounds with Tyson Fury. I think he learned so much in those 12 rounds that he is an improved fighter. He has really found his stride. He is, his confidence and skill set, all of it has come together, and it's at its peak form. This is a peak Deontay Wilder. How long will this peak last? Who knows? It might last just this year. 2019 might be the peak of Deontay Wilder. Maybe it lasts for two or three more years. Hamed brings up a good point. Wilder has only fought one round this year. That is a great point. <laughs> that is a very good point. However, I don't think that's going to hurt him here. I, I do expect a little bit of rust early on. I think that Ortiz will have moments early on. But age matters and health matters. The guy's health is not the best. I think that Past the third or fourth round, the middle rounds, Wilder's going to find his range and start landing the right hand. I think Wilder gets him out of there this time. Only Wilder doesn't get hurt in this fight. I think that uh, he boxes smart early on. I think he drills some right hands in there in the middle rounds, slips in some hooks and upper, those awkward, crazy windmill punches. And I think he gets Luis Ortiz out of there in six, seven rounds. That's what I see. So that's my official prediction for this fight. That's what I see. Now let's get to a couple of questions here, guys. A couple of comments, questions, and then we're going to cut it off. Gail says that she's calling a KO6 for Wilder. She agrees. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction is asking, what are Deontay Wilder's keys to victory to be the prime Larry Holmes? <laughs> Goodfellas, you always ask these questions. Uh, I would say his keys to victory against Larry Holmes would be to pray because I think a prime Larry Holmes, Larry Holmes jabs the shit out of Wilder and stops him late. Let's see. Hamed says Wilder is a favorite, but he thinks it's slightly more competitive than people say. Okay, you know what, Hamed, that's fair. Look, man, um, you, you go back to... Uh, in a way, and Donaire. People thought that was going to be a blowout. I saw something there, and I thought it was going to be a distance fight that was competitive. I thought Donaire would have moments. It played out that way. 
it's very, very possible this could be a very competitive fight that goes the distance. It wouldn't blow my mind. It absolutely wouldn't blow my mind. I, I just tend to think that Ortiz will have moments in the early rounds and Wilder will start to land the power in the middle rounds and get him out of there. I just don't think Ortiz's punch resistance is going to be any better than it was last year. Just don't see that. <laughs> Ryan Billingsley says, uh, rumor has it Ortiz was a sparring partner for Ali. Yeah, for Ali back in the amateurs. Tommy Boseo asks, what are my thoughts of Jose Ramirez fighting Victor Postal in China? Look, Victor Postal is a good quality prize fighter. Jose Ramirez just fought Maurice Hooker. So he, I'm not going to say he deserves an easy fight. Victor Postel is no easy fight. But I like this. I like that he's going and, and fighting on the road. I like that he's fighting another good seasoned veteran opponent. It's only going to make him better. I favor Ramirez to win. And Postel will have moments in that fight. But I favor uh, Ramirez to take that W. And I want to see him and Josh Taylor fight next year. That f- matchup against Postal will help him prepare for that. It's not, it's not like Postal fights exactly like Joshua or Josh Taylor, sorry, but um, he's a good quality seasoned opponent who's been there, done that. You know what I'm saying? He's fought the best of the best. So I think that's a good matchup for him. Luis Garibay asked, who is the ref and judges for the fight? Um, yeah, so I, I was going to mention that on the show, and I just forgot to put it in my notes. The you can Google it, okay? Go over. I think boxing scene has it, Luis. But I saw the three names of the refs and I'm sorry, the judges and the refs name, and none of Kenny Bayless is the referee. Several of you are saying, yeah, that doesn't really you know make a difference to me. I, I, I none of the names jumped out to me. I wasn't concerned. It's not like it's going to be Adelaide Bird or somebody like that. L one L E one thirteen brings up a good point. He says. Didn't oh, I just lost the comment? Didn't Ortiz turn down seven million against Anthony Joshua for one and a half million against Deontay Wilder? Perplexing. Yes, he did. However, I will say this: Uncle Al's slipping some money under the table, so he's going to get more than one and a half million because that's the way Al Heyman does business. So uh, Ortiz is going to get more than what's being reported. But also that deal with Anthony Joshua, it was last second. Okay, and it. Ortiz, look, all you could do is speculate. You could speculate and say, yeah, Elise says, well, not $5.5 million under the table. I agree. He would have made a lot more money fighting Anthony Joshua. But the timing of that fight he didn't like. Now, is that because he was out of shape? He wasn't prepared to fight? He hadn't been in the gym? Or is that because there were some extracurricular activities going on that he didn't want discovered because there was VADA testing for that Anthony, Anthony Joshua fight? There's all sorts of rumors that have been out there. I'm not going to get into any of that. All I'm going to say is, look, Sergey Kovalev turned down the first deal with uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez because he thought the timing wasn't good. And they worked, and the purse. He wasn't happy with the purse. He wanted more. And um, Golden Boy and Canelo ponied up, and they paid Kovalev more. So, look, I agree. Luis Ortiz could be sitting where Andy Ruiz is sitting right now. Andy Ruiz took that fight at late notice and look how it worked out for him. But he had just fought recently and was in shape. Anyway. John Uno with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it, brother. He says, besides his power, what strengths and weaknesses do you see in Inouye? So a strength that I see in Inouye that I like is upstairs, downstairs, lefts, rights. He does all the punches. He's not just a headhunter. He definitely goes to the body. And Donaire had moments in that fight in the early rounds and even a couple of the later rounds. I want to say it was like the ninth, eighth, ninth round. And it was the body work. Remember, it was a body shot that dropped Donaire. So I really like that from Inouye. Weaknesses, defensive liabilities, moves in straight lines, doesn't move his head, doesn't get under shots well, doesn't dip and slide and roll his shots well, uses his feet to kind of get out of range. And that works for some guys. But with certain styles, that's going to cost him. I can't remember who. I think he fought Antonio Nieves here in America. The one time he fought here in America. And I was ringside for that fight. And I saw those flaws in him right then and there. He's fixed some of them. He's gotten better. He's certainly gotten much better with his offense. He was very one-dimensional the first time I saw him up front. Well, the only time I saw him up front. 
But so he's improved the offensive variety. He's got to work on the defense and moving his head. I think it'd benefit him greatly to come out to L.A. for a couple of training camps and spar with the guys out there. That would really, really benefit him. He's not going to do it. At some point, he's going to move up and wait enough, and that lack of head movement is going to cost him. It is. He's not going to retire undefeated, and he's going to get stopped at some point. It's going to be a while from now, and it's going to take a special fighter to beat and stop him, but it will happen. Time stamp this shit. It will happen. Hercules asks, how is Ortiz's blood pressure? Look, he's in a lot better shape this time around than he was for the first Wilder fight. He's in the best shape of his career. So his blood pressure probably isn't as good as you or I's, but it's probably the best he's ever, it's ever been in his career. <clears throat> Nurkin asks, what do I think is next for Canelo? Billy Joe Saunders. Sorry, don't shoot the messenger. Probably Billy Joe Saunders. I hope it's not, but <laughs> probably Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, Gail says Canelo will fight Callum Smith. Can, I hope you're right, Gail. If it's Callum Smith, cool. And maybe, you know what? I'm starting to wonder if Callum Smith, his management sees something in him, and that's why they've pulled back after 2018, and they're going to cash out against Canelo next year. I'm getting curious. If the next fight we see early in the spring is between Canelo and Callum Smith, especially if it comes to Vegas, that's a cash out. Harrison Property with the Super Chat. Thank you so much, my man. And he says simply, thanks for another great episode, Mike. Well, thank you for the support. I appreciate it. Deluded Dwyer has Ortiz by first round stoppage. <laughs> All right. All right, Double D. You're on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep on trolling, my man. Cole Matsuda asks, why is it so overlooked that Pacquiao skipped two divisions and could have been a 10-division champ? I don't think it's overlooked. I think Pacquiao, look, I don't consider Pacquiao an eight-division champion. Okay, I consider him an eight-division titleist. Now, he was the legitimate champion, I think, in like four, maybe five divisions. He was the guy. But that one title that he won against Antonio Margarito at a catchweight, that was complete and utter bullshit. That was not a junior middleweight title fight. I don't give a damn. So you can't pay attention to all the titles. You know what I'm saying? They're not all created equally. There's gray area in between the black and white. There's fine print that you got to decipher. And that's why you guys come to people like me to talk about that shit. But, um, yeah, I just don't consider that win over Antonio Margarito a title-winning effort at junior middleweight. There were far better junior middleweights competing at 154 at the time. However, Manny Pacquiao is a a once-in-a-generation talent, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer. And look, man, he's going to fight Errol Spence next year. He's going to fight Mikey Garcia and Errol Spence on Fox Pay-Per-View. It's going to be Mikey Garcia in the spring, Errol Spence in the fall. If he wins those two fights, he's in the conversation of pound for pound, all-time great, maybe top five, top ten. He's already in the discussion. Pound for pound, there have been plenty of historians that rate Manny higher than Floyd, even though Floyd beat him. Because it's not always necessarily about that matchup, you know, Floyd beating Manny. It's who accomplished more, who did more. Now, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that. I'm not necessarily saying I disagree with it. The jury's still out, man. Manny's career is still playing out. But he's obviously an all-time great. Obviously, one of the best to ever do it. And we were specialists. It was special just to be witness to that dude and see him and be around him. Seriously. Ozzy asking, I don't know who Dwyer is. I know Dwyer's a YouTube guy. He's, he's a, a boxing fan that has a YouTube channel, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's a writer or a, a press guy or anything. I think he has a YouTube channel, and he does a good job predicting fights, right? I don't know him personally, but, I, yeah. that's. John Uden asks, Mike, with Mungia, Jaime Mungia, moving up to 160, has he vacated his WBO belt at 154? I don't know if he's officially vacated yet or not, but once he fights up at 160, that belt will be gone. So it'll be opened up next year. And he's fighting, um, 
the Irish guy. Oh, why can't I think of his name right now? Spike O'Sullivan. There's some, Mungia loves beating up on Irish dudes. Sports Talk with Troy says, Dwyer focuses on betting on fights. Okay, that's cool. I, I don't gamble, I don't bet. You know, I probably could make a lot of money doing it, but I just don't want to go down that road. Growing up around some of the wise guys I grew up around in my old life, I saw a lot of lives get ruined with that shit. Same thing with drugs. I'm a total nerd with drugs. I'm anti-drug. Unless you consider alcohol or caffeine a drug, those are my two drugs. But I, I don't even smoke weed, man. I don't mess with drugs. I don't gamble. I just saw that shit fuck up too many lives in my childhood. Growing up in the neighborhood, I did. And, you know, seeing, seeing the lives that change. So I just don't mess with it. <clears throat> Silvio Silcon asks, any news on Errol Spence's health? So I do have some news. Um, nothing on the record. But I can confidently say that Errol's doing just fine. He's keeping a low profile, but he has been seen out in public in Dallas. There have been some posts on like Snapchat and stuff like no tweets, no Instagram shit, but he's doing fine. His, his grill's a little messed up. He's got some facial scars. Other than that, he's fine. He'll be back in the ring sometime in the spring, March, April next year. On that note, guys, we're going we're gonna to tap out here. We're going to take a knee. And we're going to retire in the corner. We've been going here for over 50 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed some of the information on this show. I hope we didn't ruffle too many feathers. And for those feathers I did ruffle, Andre Smith says, I'm a fireman. Thank you. I appreciate it. So are you. We're not scared of the flames. We go into the fire. Anyway, uh, for any feathers that I did ruffle, please understand I'm doing it for the betterment of the fans, to educate people so they know what they're getting into. I'm not doing it to diss anybody. I'm not doing it to play favorites. I am always, 100% of the time, going to look out for the interest of the fans and the fighters above all else. That's why my phone doesn't ring before others. That's why other people get phone calls and get gigs before I do. That's why I stay an independent operator, because I like to tell the truth. I get to sleep good at night. All right, guys. Peace out. I'll see you at the fights.